This is Jefferson Moore from Kelly's Filmworks Studios on the beautiful Gulf Coast, and you're listening to Scandal Water. Where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear. The silver screen appears Stories about the stage and screen And everything in between So come on and join the fun The curtain opens in three, two, one Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. I'm going to start with a question that's a little unusual. Okay. I know you're a singer. Mm, and... I sing. I don't know if we would say I'm a singer, but I have. I do sing, yes. Well, I'm curious. Do you enjoy any of those talent shows that they have on TV? Everything from AGT to American Idol to The Voice, whatever. I enjoy them, but I very rarely watch them because <laughs> I think we talked about this in the game show episode. They kind of give me anxiety because I get so worried for the people and I don't mm-hmm. like they're going to judge them. Is it going to be okay? Is something going to go wrong? So I like to go back and watch clips, but I don't necessarily watch them live. Really? Yeah. Too suspenseful for you. Yeah, it is. Too much pressure. I enjoy them too, but I'm going to confess that I do sometimes feel really terrible when the judges seem mean. mean. I don't like it when they're mean. I don't either. I like it better when they're supportive and they're positive, even if it's not the best performance. Right. You did your best. (laughs) Right. Encourage them. Yeah. Help them to get better. But I ask this because our topic today is, well, it's not the whole topic, but it relates to, it includes the gong show. which oh, the we, gong show, The gong yes. show, which was a predecessor, you would say, yeah. I think, to some of these shows. It definitely was. Mm-hmm. That gong, man, if you did a bad job, he was going to gong you out. <laughs> did you, did you uh, I watch watched some it. of the episodes? I did, yes, a yes. long time ago, yes. Same, same. Well, I thought it might be fun to start by asking if you could guess uh-huh. who a couple of these people are, because in addition to all of the acts that were not so great okay. they got gonged maybe didn't go anywhere there were actually some people who performed who went on to do some great things no kidding mm-hmm. not many <laughs> not many but a few okay so i just remember the host always looking like hey like he just was smiling his eyes were half closed he was just happy to be there man chuck barris yes yes and his eyes were half closed Probably because he was usually wearing a hat that was down <laughs> over right. his eyes. That's right. That's right. And so he would have to like tilt his face. Tilt his head back. Yes. In order just to even communicate mm-hmm. with the camera. Well, here we go. Here's the first one. I'll play just a little piece of this. This See is like you. name that tune, but it's name that person. That's right. Here we go. On behalf of the personnel here at NBC and the Gong Show, we thank you for watching this channel. If you're not watching this channel, you're probably watching the other channel on the other network. Benji, my doggy! Ran away! That was my nose, turkey. Benji! Or you're probably watching the other network. Star Trek. Is that the guy from Police Academy? It is. It is. Do you know his name? No. What's his name? His name is Mike Winslow. Let me pause that. Good job. Ah. At first I was like, is this part of the act? And then when he started doing his sirens, that's when I recognized him. Yes. So mm-hmm. he did the gong show I before didn't know that. he got his break. Hmm. All right. Good job. Let's go to number two. Gentlemen, the man, Ben 
banjo. It's a banjo. Is is it Steve Martin? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Let me see what he looks like. Turn it around. Oh gosh. So that he look at him with the arrow in his head. Now he didn't actually get a start here. What happened okay. was this was them doing a little bit. He was one of the people in the panel. Oh. They would have like three not really famous kind of uh-huh. B-list celebrities sure. yeah. who would be part of the show and they would make fun of the acts, sometimes throw things at people. <gasps> oh, no. Yes. And and help decide whether or not they were going to get gone. did you throw things at people? He was probably nice. I don't know. Okay. But this was him coming out and being funny. The audience went wild because, uh, of course, he was actually he's a so panelist. He's so good. He is so good at that he banjo. He really is talented. Here's the last one. Now, okay. this is going to be a visual. I'm going to ask you to try not to read the little caption at the bottom because it's going to give it away. I'm going to show you these performers. One of them you may recognize. Okay. Okay. Can you cover the caption? Uh, yes, I will try to do that if I can. Ready? That sounds... Uh, they're really far away and I'm... Sounds like Martin Short. It's Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee Herman? Yes, that is Paul Rubens before he became Pee Wee Herman. Oh my goodness. So those are three of the people who performed. I got two out of the three. You did a nice job. You really did. It's not so much the show that Uh we're going to be talking about today. It is going to be the host, Chuck Barris. Now, one of the things that he's most well known for, though, is this show, Mm -hmm. The Gong Show. Mm -hmm. In a People magazine, they described The Gong Show in this way. Quote, the gong show is best remembered for being one of the first barrels of unadulterated insanity to air on network <laughs> it's true. television. It's true. It's crazy. <laughs> Basically a variety competition talent show. They had talent in quotation marks. Gong show was populated with as many oddities as Barris could find, along with the odd, genuinely talented person, mm-hmm. and paraded them in front of the panel of judges who could end any act's run with the show's titular gong. That was it. The true genius of the show was in the personalities on display from Barris to the judges themselves, many of whom outshone the competitors. Mm. Yeah. So many of the sources that I looked at went on to say this gong show was popular and ran for a while. We're going to come back to it and we'll talk a little bit more later. But it was also criticized for being trashy. Really? Oh, goodness. Yes. I guess I don't remember. It was it was pretty raunchy. It pushed some boundaries. (gasps) Oh, okay. And sexist. Oh. And Chuck Barris himself sometimes was described as being loud, maybe obnoxious, pushing some boundaries himself. But it was must watch programming in America during that time. That same People article went on to call Chuck Barris, quote, one of the most influential figures in American television history. What? Yes. I guess because it gave birth to all these other competition TV shows, right? Yes. And we're going to talk more about that. Okay. But the funny part is that's not even what's going to make Chuck Barris so interesting. And Mm -hmm. that's not why he is the focus of this episode. I know. You do know. I do. Why is he the focus of this episode? Because he claims that he, I mean, I'm saying this, he claims he was a spy, correct? He claimed he was a CIA Uh assassin. Oh, assassin. I thought he was just a spy, but yeah. Full on assassin. 
with our April theme of putting the scandal in scandal water, mm-hmm. we are going to be talking about Chuck Barris today. We will hit, you know, his whole history with the game show yeah. and daytime television thing, but we're going to dig in a little bit to this whole claim of the CIA assassin in particular, since that's really where the biggest scandal, of course, would be. We're brewing the tea. That's right. So what do you want to share with us, Ashley? What do you know about him already? Just mainly the gong show stuff and the fact that he had said that he was, an, uh, well, I thought it was a spy, but as you said, an assassin, I just thought that's, that does not mesh with what you look like on the gong show, sir. <laughs> Either you are absolutely a genius or you're crazy. So or I guess both. there's a fine line. Yeah. He kind of teetered. He fell <laughs> over into one pond. It's like, it's like that part in Robin Hood, Men in Tights, if anybody's seen that, it's where he says, I'm on the East Bank. I'm on the West Bank. He's got both feet on either side. Yes. And it's a little Dream. He's like, it's not that critical. So that's what it makes me think of. He's got one foot in each one. That's right. Genius and insanity. I'm going to say that's a pretty accurate description based <laughs> He's on got what one I foot know everywhere. of him. Well, let's go ahead and, and start with, you know, the beginning. Mm-hmm. He was born Charles Hirsch Barris on June 3rd of 1929 in Ooh. Philadelphia. His dad was a dentist, but... What, what month? June. June. So right before the Great Depression. Oh, okay. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. His dad was a dentist, but he passed away of a stroke when Chuck I'm going to call him Chuck because that's what he went by was very young which left the family destitute so Chuck had a tough Tough. upbringing Mm -hmm. he did go to Drexel Institute of Technology where he was a columnist for the student newspaper The Triangle so he had writing ability okay And then after he graduated in 1953, he worked odd jobs. And I did not list them all, but this fella would take any job that came his way. He was working them all to get his foot in the door. Mm -hmm. But he found his way into television through an entry-level position at NBC. Cool. Mm -hmm. So first he worked as a page. Later he worked as a staffer at NBC in New York City. And eventually he worked his way backstage through the TV music show American Bandstand. Oh, Dick Clark. Yes. And he became friends with Dick Clark through that experience. Yes. But he was a standards and practices person for ABC for a while. What is that? Do we know? I think he had to, he had to make sure that they didn't violate some of the content requirements or cursing. So he knew how to break them later. He knew all the rules. Gotcha. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, in the meantime, he had married his first wife, Lynn Levy, who was the niece of a CBS founder, which I'm sure didn't hurt things. Yeah. They were married from 1950. 57 to 1976 and it was with Lynn that Chuck had his only child. Hmm. It was a daughter named Della and all all the sources everything said that he absolutely adored oh, good. this girl. Good, yes. Good, good, good. Unfortunately, of course they ended up divorcing and by that time their daughter Della was about 14 and Chuck took full custody of his daughter. Really? Yeah. But moving back into the timeline, Della was born in 1962 and this was the same year that Chuck Barris wrote the song Palisades Park. Have you ever heard of that yeah. Song? Yeah. It was recorded he... by Freddie Cannon and became a hit song. Oh, yeah. I know that one. Yeah. So this guy, he can write. He knows music. So by this point, Chuck had actually become a music industry figure. He produced pop music on records and TV, which of course gave him a little bit of an inroad there mm-hmm. to be able to get his own hit song out there. But as far as I could tell, he didn't ever produce any other or write or record any it other It was a one-hit songs. wonder for him? Yes. But he remained interested in music his whole life. And he did go on when he became involved in game shows. He went on to write or co-write some of the theme show music. That's 
That's very cool. Yeah, I like that. Well, it wasn't long after this that he did become involved with game shows, and it happened because he was promoted to the daytime programming division at ABC in Los Angeles, and they put him in charge of deciding which game shows ABC would air. And as he was doing this job... That's a big responsibility. It is. But he kept looking at his bosses and saying, I could come up with better pitches or better concepts than what we are putting on the air right now. And basically his bosses were like, well, then you should do it. And he did. He did. He did. So it sounds to me like he is one of those dumb blondes that's not really dumb. Oh, I think he was incredibly mm-hmm. smart and a go-getter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he formed Chuck Barris Productions in 1965 with a $20,000 loan from his stepfather and created the dating game. Stop it. Yes. Oh, you know, another scandally episode, the dating game. Did you know there was a murderer that went on the dating game? I did. Mm. I think it was Richard Ramirez, wasn't it? I don't remember. The no, the Richard Ramirez, wasn't he the Zodiac Killer? The Night Stalker? Night Stalker. No, it wasn't that guy. Or unless he went on, unless there's two that went on the dating game. Let's look it up. Okay. We'll look it up at the break. Okay. Well, he created the dating game, which premiered in December of 1965. And since we obviously both know it let's explain to our listeners who may not be aware like what's the premise of the dating game how does it go awful (laughs) that's what it is it's uh it was it always ladies or was it sometimes men sometimes it would be men okay so it's a person a bachelor or a bachelor there you go and they are on one side of a partition and then three people who they are maybe gonna I don't even know how they found these people like off the street they would bring them in and say <laughs> ask this person <laughs> I don't screened. know well clearly not that one guy got in they they ask a question usually they were flirtatious or a little mm-hmm. bit risque and like bachelor number one what would you say if I did this and he'd say something cute or funny and then they go on through and then at the end she'd pick the person and then she or he meets the person they did. they would get sent on a date ah okay yeah so it did really well and by the way, it was hosted by Jim Lang. He was the original host. Later, Chuck Woolery would oh, yeah, I know take that over for mm-hmm. it. But yes, it was very popular. Mm-hmm. Very popular. Again, it's that flirty stuff, I bet. And who are they going to pick? And who would mm-hmm. I pick? And that kind of thing. And all these attractive mm-hmm. young people on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was so different. Like, right. They had had nothing like that before this point. And I guess that could be the start to all of these reality shows now, like The, the Bachelor. Absolutely. And, yep. In fact, that was a comment made by one of the authors of... of an article that I saw was that he saw the potential for reality TV Mm -hmm. so far in advance Mm -hmm. of anybody else seeing it. Mm -hmm. Well, several aspiring actors made appearances on the dating game before they were famous. Mm -hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sally Field, John Ritter. Sally Field! Farrah Fawcett. What? Yes, it's crazy. And in my notes, they used the term, the dating game revolutionized the game show genre. Huh. It ran for 11 out of the next 15 years. It was actually revived twice in the 1980s and the 1990s. 1990s? Mm Y'all. Yeah. So that was 1965 and it was only 1966, a year later, when he launched the Newlywed He did that one too? Yes. Hosted by Bob Eubanks, which ran for 19 years. Holy cats. Yes. He is a genius. And I'm pretty sure that the Newlywed game even five or ten years ago was running reruns on the Game Show Network. Wow. And it's still out there. It's still out there. Kirk and I have taken a cruise before and uh-huh. it's one of the games that they'll play on the ship to entertain oh that would be cute. participants or and, it could start arguments you know <laughs> well probably both yeah but it's fun to watch yeah so i would say genius like mm-hmm. those were two concepts mm-hmm. that were so now he's on the side of genius he's on the bank he's on the he's on the east bank right now he's in the genius territory <laughs> well in 
1976 is when he created and hosted the gong show it ran for two years 76 to 78 and then ran in syndication until 1980 only two years for that one yeah interesting i don't think it was quite the hit i mean Mm. everybody was watching it but honestly what i saw in a couple of different articles was that it started pushing boundaries Mm. too too much too too much it started taking a lot of criticism and they just decided to do away with it but during the time that it was on TV, it was very popular. I know we've already described it, but here are some other descriptors that people used to talk about this show. They said it was repackaged vaudeville for TV. Oh, I like that description. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. that a lot. It's instead of the, the the hook, they have the gong. Yes, absolutely. And they again compared it to America's Got Talent, but instead of receiving feedback from judges, they said the B-list celebrities who were part of the panel might make jokes about the acts like or even part. throw things at them. And they gave the example of that happening when Gene Gene, the dancing machine, would perform, Mm -hmm. if you recall that act. Another famous one that came out of the gong show was the unknown comic, the guy who would tell jokes with a bag Bag on his his head. head. Yes. So they launched some acts. The gong show launched some acts. Now, this was interesting to me because what I saw of Chuck Barris, just looking at some of these clips and and bringing that the memories back of when I had seen the show before, I would have said that he was a very confident, outgoing guy. Mm Mm-hmm. But supposedly he was actually shy about performing on TV, which is why. He had the hat? He had the hat. Yes. They said that he admitted at one point that it helped him resolve his stage fright because it helped him avoid the need to look directly into the camera. Oh. Yeah. And they talked about how everybody loved him, but he was zany and he was (laughs) kind of gawky Uh and awkward, I guess. He did this thing where he would clap randomly in the middle of speaking and it became a thing. (laughs) The audience would try to predict when he was going to clap and clap (laughs) with him. Aw. Yes. And when I, those little clips that I started the episode with where I was asking you Uh to guess... Mm-hmm. If you continue to watch some of those clips, I saw it happening. And Where I was he just like, clap? He, yes. In the middle of talking, he would suddenly clap very randomly <laughs> and the audience would try to go with him and then he would fake them out. And yeah, it was, yeah, it was cute. Well, we've already talked about a number of people who went on to become famous, like Pee Wee Herman mm-hmm. and Mike Winslow. But a few other examples would be the country musician Boxcar Willie. Oh. And a singer called Cheryl Lynn, who after performing on The Gong Show, went on to record the disco hit Got To Be Real. And a last example was Andrea McArdle, who was a young girl who performed on The Gong Show and then went on to originate the title role of Annie on Broadway in 1977. She must have been young when she was on The Gong Show then. Yeah, she was. Well, Chuck Barris went on to create a number of other game shows. Just to hit a few of them, there was the $1.98 beauty show, something called Three's a Crowd, and another show that was literally called The Game Game. Interesting. One source called Chuck Barris the Mark Burnett of his day. At one point, he was supplying network TV with 27 hours worth of game show programming a week. From one guy. This guy was was responsible for that. When he said, I can do better, he was right. Yes. But by 1980, remember, his gong show got canceled Mm -hmm. and he was taking a lot of criticism at this point. Okay. So he realized he needed a change. He sold his production company for a reported 100 million. And he decided he was going to dabble with film. I thought you were saying dabble with assassinating. This is when you switched over to. It's coming. I'm a little bored. I'm going to become an assassin. It is coming very soon. Okay. Film. So he decided he was going to make the gong show movie, which was. I did not know that existed. Yeah. He produced it and it was a 
flop. Why? Well, I I, that's why I didn't know it existed, I assume. It didn't say this outright, but the way it was phrased, I think it was just not a good movie. Yeah. But they went on to mention that it, it also had the bad fortune of being released the same weekend in 1980 as The Empire Strikes Back oh. and The Shining. Oh, it poor was, buddy. It was so poorly received that it was only in the theaters for a week. Oh, well, he had no chance. Yeah. But by this point, Chuck is going through, they called it a crisis of confidence. I and, don't blame him. Yes. He's now hitting some failures. Yeah. After all the years mm-hmm. of success mm-hmm. and he's taken a lot of criticism people are literally saying that he's doing trash tv that he's demeaning the contestants he called himself the king of daytime television but other people were referring to him as the king of schlock or the oh. baron of bad taste Ooh. And he said, quote, I took the criticism so hard, I don't know if I'll ever get over it. So this is where he decided, again, he had sold his stuff. He decided he was going to move to the south of France with his wife. Good choice. I would choose that too, Chuck. (laughs) Good choice, my friend. Good choice. He's now divorced from the first wife. And he goes with Robin Altman, who soon after became his second wife. And his quote to the paper in 2002, as he was reflecting back on this experience was, I figured I didn't have my finger on the pulse of what's going on anymore. So I took off. And he told his friends that he planned to write the great American novel while he was in France. All right, buddy. Good luck. But instead. He became an assassin. He wrote his 1980. for memoir confessions of a dangerous mind in which he talked about being a cia assassin all right chuck let's hear it how'd you do it buddy let's talk about it right after the break okay (laughs) hey guys we wanted to let you know about a new perk we're offering to our 1993 club members we're starting something called this that or the other where our 1993 club members get to choose the episode topic when given three choices for the fifth tuesday in may the options are number one the barrymore family legacy number two new mickey mouse club stars or number three celebrity talk show hosts if you'd like your voice to be heard simply visit www.buymeacoffee.com slash scandal water pod to join the 1993 club before may 1st cheers And we are back. But before we move into our CIA assassin little thread here, Mm -hmm. during the break, Ashley looked up to find out who our serial killer on the dating game was. Rodney Alcala was his name, and he's often referred to as the dating game killer because of his 1978 appearance on the television show The Dating Game in the midst of his murder spree. Well, that's disturbing. did not do a background check on old Rodney. They probably did pull him in off the street. (laughs) They did. Hey, we need another guy. The first guy didn't show up. Oh, my gosh. Well, all right. Before we talk about the book and and the things that Chuck shared first I should I should clarify something you know how your sources have all these conflicting reports sure this was one of those instances there were several sources that said he wrote the book while he was in France but then there were other sources at least three I saw who said nope he wrote it in New York holed up in a hotel so I'm not sure okay where he actually I wrote it I like but... the south of France better I would like to picture him out on a little beach chair little umbrella drink <laughs> Writing his memoir. Let's go with that. That's now, that's the real story. Okay. If if Chuck can do it, I can do it. That's right. Okay. Well, his book was called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, and it was subtitled An Unauthorized Autobiography. But he would have to authorize it. So that's that's tongue in cheek, right? Clever. Yeah. 
pretty pretty clever. Well, in it, he claimed that he worked for the CIA as an assassin during the 1960s and 1970s. Supposedly, the CIA enlisted him to work as a contract killer mm. using the trips that he gave to his game show winners as a cover to go overseas and assassinate different Cold what? War targets. So he was supposed to go with them on their trips? Or some, yes, either with them uh-huh. or maybe he was like scouting locations or something. Interesting. I'm not sure, but okay. yes. So he claims, and this this actually comes from the book summary that I found on Goodreads. Okay. On Goodreads. So he claims to have joined the CIA as an agent in the early 1960s that he infiltrated the civil rights movement, met with militant Muslims in Harlem, and traveled abroad in order to kill enemies of the United States. So He that- really did take odd jobs then. <laughs> Just like, I don't know. I'm hungry. What do you got for me? Now, I could never find what his claim was in the book. And I obviously did not read the book. But in the movie that was later made, it showed him killing 33 people. Well, that's a significant number. I'm not sure what the book says. But it was not a bestseller. What? I would read that. I haven't. But I would. If I was back then. I think of a, a person people... that was a game show guy. Like what? This was his life. This is salacious. But I think a lot of people didn't believe it. Oh. I think they thought he's wacky. He's mm-hmm. crazy. This is fictional. Mm-hmm. And pe- the, some, the people who read it, I think, enjoyed it. Okay. It was kind of, I think, quirky and fun. I don't think it was like dark and mm. very. Uh, what's the word? I don't think it was all CIA suspense operative stuff. Okay. I think there was kind of this wacky feel to the book. I looked it up. I couldn't even find that the CIA bothered to respond to the book so they may have Uh I never could find it and here's the other thing Chuck Barris himself admitted it was made up in 1984 on an interview on NBC's Today Show he said quote no I was never a CIA hitman. I never did those things. I once applied for the CIA, and while I was going through the process, I got a job and went on television. But I had always wondered what would have happened if I had done both. So that's probably also another reason Mm -hmm. that it wasn't a bestseller, Mm -hmm. because people are like, oh, he made up this. What else is he supposed to say? Mm -hmm. That sounds like something exactly like what a CIA assassin would say. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to come back to that. <laughs> so years passed and Chuck actually hit a pretty rough patch when he and his wife, Robin, divorced in 1999. And then in 2000, he suffered a health crisis. Mm. Part of one lung actually had to be removed due to cancer. And then a post-operative infection led to his spending a month in intensive care. Oh. So according to some sources, this caused him to really become very reflective and to think more about life and mortality. And, you know, this was a tough time for him. On the flip side, here's a positive. He married his third and final wife, Mary, in the year 2000. And not long after that is when George Clooney started filming an adaptation of this book we've been talking about, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Have you seen it? No. I did. I've seen The Men Who Stare at Goats but I haven't seen that one. Okay. I have not seen The Men Who Stare at Goats. Mm. But Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Kirk and I saw it, I think, around the time it, it, came, it came I out. think we saw it in the theaters. Yes. And it was very quirky. It was a 2002 movie that starred Sam Rockwell as Chuck Barris. Oh, that's a good choice. Mm-hmm. Julia Roberts was in it and Drew Barrymore, both of those playing supporting roles, <laughs> obviously. And all the sources that I read seem to agree that George made the conscious decision, he and whoever else was helping him write his script, that they were going to 
to lean into. <laughs> that it was true. CIA. Yes, they were going to decide it was true. And they okay. were leaning into his claims and even fictionalized it more. They okay. embellished it. Okay. Made it darker, made it edgier. All of which Chuck Barris himself seemed to support because he was involved with the filmmaking. That's cool. He was around. So a Rolling Stone article commented that the movie came and went very quickly, that it only made $33 million worldwide, but it brought more attention, of course, to Chuck Barris and his story mm-hmm. prompted him to write a 2004 sequel called Bad Grass Never Dies, a sequel to Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Mm-hmm. And the movie did prompt a response from the CIA. Oh, what did they say? A spokesman named Tom Crispell from the CIA said, It sounds like he has been standing too close to the gong all those years. <laughs> Chuck Barris has never been employed by the CIA, and the allegation that he was a hired assassin is absurd. That sounds exactly like what they'd say. And in response, <laughs> Chuck Barris said, have you ever heard the CIA acknowledge yeah, right? someone was an assassin? <laughs> right. Taking a cue from Ashley Raymond Brown. <laughs> That's right. Me and Chuck, we got it. <laughs> That's so funny that you predicted exactly what he would say. So time goes by. By the way, Chuck wrote several other works. I did not list them all, but here's one that I noted because this to me was was sad. Hmm. In 2010, he wrote the book Della, A Memoir of My Daughter, which a few different reporters seem to agree was his most powerful book. Mm -hmm. And it was obviously about his daughter, Della, who died of a drug overdose back in 1998 at age 36. And it was described in a Los Angeles Times article as a sorrowful look inward after the overdose death of his only child. Mm. He wrote that he blamed himself for her fate, that he was so caught up in Hollywood that he had overlooked her needs until she dropped out of Beverly Hills High School and ran away from home. Mm. Years later, she was found dead in a Hollywood apartment. So is it indicating that he had lost touch with her? Well, I dug into this a little Mm -hmm. bit and what I saw across several sources, because, you know, he did interviews and he talked about things. He loved her dearly, but he himself noted that he put his work above his daughter mm-hmm. and even though his secretary said that Chuck was just crazy about her. She made a quote that talked about how when they were in a boardroom meeting, any kind of meeting, he would stop everything to take a call from his daughter. And the secretary said, quote, no one else got that treatment, Mm. just Della. But in the book, apparently, Chuck shares his regret over not being there enough for her. Mm -hmm. He said he was so busy running his own production company, he didn't really see what she was getting up to. She started running with gangs when she was 14. Mm. She started using hard drugs soon after he tried to do different things to stay in the relationship but they did grow apart Mm -hmm. and then of course she died in Mm. in that tragic way that we described now he himself passed away on march 21st 2017 in his home in palisades new york he died of natural causes and he was 87 years old wow he was still married to his third wife mary i thought this was sad as well back in 2002 around the time the movie came out he did a lot of interviews and they said you know we mentioned that he was a little melancholy he was a little reflective and he talked at that time about how he worried that when he passed away his obituary would be focused on things like the gong show Mm -hmm. and the dating game and it was it was Mm. it was but here's what he said quote i've created hit tv shows but nothing has been great i've written rock songs but i'm not a big music star i've penned a best-selling book but i'm not hemingway or fitzgerald i've never saved any lives It's just middle-of-the-road greatness. So I know what my legacy will be. It's the gong show, and that's a shame. 
It's not the legacy I want to have. It gave the impression of me being a clown, a court jester. None of that's true. Hmm. And then as I was researching him, article after article that came up, most of what I was finding when you just do a Google would be the announcements when he passed in 2017. Over and over again, that's what they would say. The gong show. The gong show or the creator of these game mm-hmm. shows including they would list dating game and newlywed mm-hmm. game and but the gong show was always first hmm. yeah and so here's a man who again we were said this earlier he was supplying television networks with 27 hours of entertainment a week at one point referred to in one source as quote one of hollywood's most important minds for much of the 1970s and they said this was a guy who could not walk down a street without being recognized wow yet here he was remembered in this way hmm. exactly how he didn't want to be remembered did he say how he wanted to be remembered he didn't okay but i think i think he felt like he wanted to be recognized for some greatness for I some think, genius i think anybody who has gone into that clown role or that dumb blonde role as i said earlier you have that problem it's like you're so good at your role that that's all you're known for and you're so much more than that and i think he sounded to me like somebody who wanted to be appreciated and recognized and it really 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 bothered him that this was a term he used in one of the sources that he felt like he was hated at mm. one point you know this was a guy who had created so much joy mm-hmm. and fun mm-hmm. and been so creative but he felt like I think that people turned on him mm-hmm. and he was criticized and even hated Yeah. Now, here's one little follow-up that I think that you're going to enjoy, though. After his death, I did find a 2017 Hollywood Reporter article titled, Was Chuck Barris a CIA Assassin? There's a possibility, Dangerous Mind Producer says. And so this little article talked about this interview with Andrew Lazar, who was the fellow who had acquired the rights to the memoir Mm -hmm. that then was made into the movie that George Clooney directed. And in this article, they explained that Andrew Lazar and Chuck Barris had become friends through this process of working together and stayed close over the years. Mm -hmm. In fact, Andrew said that he visited Chuck just six weeks before Chuck passed away in March of that year. And Andrew maintains that Chuck never backed down from his story, even if the CIA emphatically said it was all a lie. And so here's a quote from Andrew Lazar. Is it plausible? Could that actually have happened? I really couldn't tell you one way or another. I can say this, having gotten to know Chuck over the years, there's a possibility. There could be truth in the book because Chuck was so politically active. That's not to say I'd like to think Chuck killed all those innocent people. Mm -hmm. I think the book was not 100% true. I think there were strong grains of truth in the book but he never never denied the authenticity of the book in all the years I knew him look at the CIA and all the different programs they've had which by the way were far more outlandish than what Chuck contended all the CIA experimentation on psyches and remote viewing and telekinesis Mm -hmm. that existed Mm -hmm. so the idea that CIA would actually go to people that were traveling around the world for television shows and have them do counterintelligence that's not that far-fetched there you go check mark Armchair psychologist. So that leads us into our armchair. Do I think it's true? Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Okay, so I, I figured I figured we You would know probably... I always want it to <laughs> be do, true. You do. So let's I'll sh- you share your thoughts okay. and I'll share mine. <gasps> okay. Right. Let's see. I'm not very good at debates. <laughs> let's see. So we know that he was 
hungry. We know he was destitute. We know he was taking all kinds of odd jobs, right? Mm -hmm. He said that, odd jobs. And we know that he was brilliant. He had all of this intelligence. He knew how to portray himself in a certain way. I am going to say that there are strong grains of truth that he could possibly (laughs) have been. Because if he never said it's not true and the CIA are like, no, because what are they supposed to say? You know? Well, right. His friend said he never backed down from it, but I'm assuming that means to the friend because he went on the Today Show in 1984 and said it was fictionalized. Because it was made up. (laughs) (laughs) Because they said, don't stop. He sold everything for $100 million. He went to the Mm -hmm. south of France. He just decided, I'm just going to, this book is not about Jackson. You know, he just said it's true. And then who's going to say it's not true is the person that it's about is going to say that it's not true. That's so funny. I like this life. I thought you would probably land on that side and I respect your opinion. (laughs) I'm going to say I don't think it's true. I think this was a man who was very artistic, very smart. He seemed to have dipped his toe into all the different genres and forms of yeah. media yeah and i think he decided he was going to write this wonderful book and then got over there and was like oh my gosh what would what sell? am i going to say yeah what, what am i going to exactly write? right yeah so this would be super exciting and i'm kind of wacky and i could make this suspenseful and mm-hmm. fun and exciting all at the same time this could be great i'm just like why didn't it sell because he does seem to be so in touch why wouldn't it have sold back then and why would he have immediately gone and said unless somebody for real unless somebody from from the CIA did contact him and went, buddy, no. Once they read it, mm. you know, and told him, you had better say this is not true because even if whatever, whatever it is, they would be like, you can't, you can't say this stuff, man. You can't represent us like this. Yeah. I mean, that's a good thought. My opinion would be this was the point of his life and his career when he lost all respect. Mm. You know, I don't think that, I don't think the public was interested in him at this point. Mm-hmm. He had a reputation now of being the guy with the schlocky TV mm-hmm. show. And I think that nobody cared about his book. So then why say it's not true? Why not just lean into it from the start? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't have an answer for everything. And I certainly respect your opinion and everybody else who thinks it's true. I tend, I tend to not. Well, I really don't know. Of course, I don't know. But I like to, I would like to believe that it is true because I'm where his friend is. Like, I don't want to think about him killing all of these people. But if he was, that's, that's fun. That's exciting. Like, maybe it is. My opinion is I'm going to fall in the line of I'm not going to say it's not true. I'm going to say, hmm, who knows? Yeah. You made me remember a quote. I didn't put it in my notes, but I was struck by it. I think he was very hurt by how the public turned on him. Mm-hmm. And when he was thinking about the movie, which, I mean, it wasn't a wonderful, you know, blockbuster movie, but $33 million is nothing to sneeze at. No. I mean, that's something. And he got attention from it. And people seemed to enjoy the idea of his being a CIA assassin. Mm-hmm. And so at some point in a source, I saw a quote where he basically said I can't believe everybody is hating on me because they didn't like how I was entertaining them but I'm going to get all this love at the thought that I would be an assassin right yeah and now I I paraphrase that but that was the general Mm -hmm. idea and I'm like that's kind of a good point it is it is (laughs) yeah well I think that would be a good way to end then let's do a cheers to our friend Chuck Barris who certainly had it sounds like a, a challenging life. Yeah. Good parts, had, bad parts, like but, everybody. But changed the face of television. True. Definitely made inroads in the game show industry mm-hmm. and gave us a lot to think about. Yes, he his, did. With his memoir. <laughs> he did indeed. And if he doesn't want to be remembered for the gong show, then we will remember him as Della's father.
Cheers to you, Chuck. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join the Scandal Water community through our Scandal Water Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandal Water Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.